Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast. And it's me, PB, back on hosting duties again. You haven't heard my voice for... Over a month now, I think. Um, we've taken a few weeks off on the podcast uh, to have a bit of a break, as the uh, Arsenal team are doing now. And uh, before that, I was uh, out injured, failed late fitness tests on two occasions. So apologies um, that I haven't been leading the podcast for the last few weeks, but hopefully Pat and uh, Johnny have provided some good quality listening materials in my absence. But Today, it is just me um, from the, the regular hosts, and I'm joined by Tiki Taka Connor, as you may know him on Twitter. Hello, Connor. Hi, Ollie. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Feels good to uh, to get back in and uh, freshen up, I think, after the semi-final um, defeat kind of deflated uh, a lot of Arsenal Twitter, a lot of a lot of Arsenal voices in the, in the area, and I think it's... Um, even made me ill, so well done, Arsenal. But uh, I'm back, refreshed, got my green smoothie juice in my hand, and I'm ready to talk. However, what we talk about today may deflate us a little bit as well, but also I like to think there's going to be some some positives for us to talk about. And that's because as part of our first um, podcast of the off-season, we're going to take a look back at Arteta and analysing his performance over the last season he's definitely divided opinion had some extremely low lows some fairly high highs and it's it's sort of up for debate now um whether fans think he is the right man to lead lead the club forward i think recent polls have suggested about three quarters think he deserves to to start next season um but i think a poor start to next season you'll start to see that sort of head towards the 50-50 and then perhaps the three quarters the other way. Um, we're going to 
break down and go through individual decisions. But Connor, before we get started, what's your what's your general stance on Arteta in terms of what I just said there, in terms of where you stand on your confidence in him right now and sort of how much time you, you'd give him if things didn't start well next season? Um, I'm definitely an Arteta terrain, uh, if that's that what we're calling it now, in mm. and out Arteta. But I'm definitely one of the guys who I do like Arteta. I think he's definitely got it. He's shown enough for me to think he's going to be something special, I believe, anyway. Um, I know we've had a bad season and in general, but there's still shining lights throughout the season, which gives me the confidence that I know he can bring us back to the top four titles eventually. Um, I don't remember how young he is. Um, so I'm just banking on that. And even, like, say I did, I did want him out, which a lot of people do want him out, which is fair enough. Um, we finished eighth and we didn't achieve anything. Um but who are you bringing in? There's just there's, there's no no one. I personally don't think there's anyone good enough in the market. Maybe apart from Conte now, who's I don't know what he, what he's doing. He's expecting to get like PSG or something. But apart mm. from that, I just think Arteta's. I, I think you should stick with him. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think just before we get started to to share my sort of stance, I think I'm fairly balanced on him. I'm not I'm not wed to him. Um, I don't think. He absolutely has to go right now at all either. So I can see that he's done lots of good things. I can see he's done lots of bad things. Um, as you said there, Connie, he's a young coach, so he's, he's going to make mistakes. I don't feel like we've got the structure around him to, to sort of support him in some of these decisions, which we'll, we'll go through and look at today. Um, so I can forgive him for some things. Some things are less forgivable, but let every coach makes mistakes and like you said there, I think he, he's clearly a talented coach and whether it works here or not, you know, that's one question. Whether he's a talented coach is another question. Um, it's a massive job at Arsenal and, we, and we've seen with Unai Emery. Um, obviously, it didn't work out at Arsenal. I think by the time he was sacked, there was very few people who wanted him to stay. But he, he's gone and won the Europa League again um, Against against Manchester United, obviously beat Arsenal in the semi final and, and proven that he is a good coach in the right environment. So, no matter what happens and what we say today, I think it's, it's important to stress that for for a manager to be truly successful, he needs the right support around him at the club. Uh, he needs the right environment and uh, sometimes a little bit of luck as well. And there's definitely occasions this season where I think Arteta has and the team have been a little bit unlucky. But before we sort of delve into the season, I want to take our minds back to the start of the season because we're looking at a big sort of rebuild job now in the press every day. Who's going in? Who's going out? Looks like, you know, lots could be coming in in and out the doors. But quite a lot did happen last summer as well. So just to remind the listeners, let's go through the, the signings from last summer. Thomas Partey obviously arrived on deadline day for 45 million. Gabriel for 23 million. Pablo Marie's loan deal was made permanent for, from what I'm reading, 4.5 million. Uh, Alex Renarsson. Moment of silence for Alex. 1.8 million. Cedric and Willian arrived on free. Inverted commas, deals. And... Then we had Matthew Ryan arriving in January on loan. 
What sticks out to you there, Connor, as a really good piece of business, first of all? Um, good. Uh, I like Cedric quite a lot, actually. Um, I think people seem to... Just, there was a point in the season when people seemed to just hate him for no reason. I don't mm. think he played a game. Everyone just hated him. Um, but I think he's done well and he's come in. He's had to play out of position in some games as well. Which, I mean, he hasn't done too well at left back, but that's not really his fault. But when he played at right back, he had a few good games when he was like linking up with Pepe well. He is good on his left foot as well, so he can cut in and whip it in the other foot. I think Cedric is a bit uh, unfairly treated by Arsenal fans. Mm. Yeah, it's a decent backup, but he's got Chambers as well now, so it's a bit of a. I think Chambers is ahead of him, but we still need to bring in a right back, so it's a bit of a hard one if you want to keep him like for going forward. But I do mm. like I do. I think he was probably one of my favourite pieces in the summer, which is a bit random, but yeah, who else mm. has him? Yeah, I think I think you can't really criticise a, a free deal for Cedric. I think what you can criticise, and we're looking at uh, the manager today, is his use of him. So I think both both me and you kind of think he's he's definitely a usable player as a, as a backup. Um, some people do disagree with that. But on a free deal, uh, I, I definitely don't think that's a bad deal. Um, but Arteta's use of him is, is probably what's led people to be more critical because, you know, it seems almost certain that Bellerin's gone this summer, but Bellerin continued to sort of get minutes ahead of him. In the second half of the season, even when Cedric had had some pretty good performances, as you say, and uh, we've obviously had Chambers come into the mix now as well. And I think, you know, it's widely reported that the club are looking for a first choice right back this summer. So I think it's probably new right back and Chambers. So where that leaves Cedric, you know, I think if the club did get any sort of bid for him, they probably would let him go. So, you know, your highlight being one that we might move on a year later says says a lot probably about, about our summer business. But I don't know, I think for 23 million for, for Gabriel, um, for me at his age, you know, he's had some, we forget in our terrible period, I know it's not always a good sign, but when we were terrible in that first half of the season, I think he was player of the month three or four months in a row for us. Um, and he really showed some really good qualities. He got COVID, didn't he, around the Christmas time. Um, and struggled to sort of integrate back into the team then. And Pablo Marie actually stepped in and sort of defied a few critics uh, during that spell. I thought he played played pretty well. And at four million, I actually think that's a, that's a pretty good deal as well. So I think those two sort of sorting our left-hand side of the defence was, was quite a highlight for me because of all the things we're looking to do this summer, I don't think a left-sided centre-back it's going to cross anyone's mind. Um, so for 27 million to lock that position for both players, that's not bad. That's not bad at all for me. We won't talk William. We might come on to him later. Let's um, let's look at the departures then. Um, we let Emiliano Martinez go for what it says, 16 million. Matteo Guendouzi, Mavropanos, uh, Seo Kolasinac all went out on loan. That's that's in January. And then Mustafi, Ozil, Socrates and Matt Macy were all let go for free. Also, Mkhitaryan was let go for free in the summer. Connor, thoughts on what we did on outgoings then last summer. So we only raised 
across well summer in january we only raised the the 16 million from martinez uh, other than some really small loan fees um and obviously we let we let three more players go out on loan in january joe willock ainsley mate niles and william saliba and we let lucas Torreira go out on loan in the summer so we did a, a lot of people left but they either left for loans or free transfers and uh a club that doesn't like to invest money that's that's not a brilliant brilliant start what's what's your thoughts on what we did there Connor? to be honest I, I thought the summer when we cleared out a lot of the let's face it crap uh mm. i think we did really well um getting getting rid of a lot of them players um obviously the wage bill gets freed up quite a lot as well but like in general apart from martinez which in hindsight now looks like an absolutely stupid decision Given Leno possibly may leave very shortly, mm. but apart from that, like I, I can't really fault it. Like we got rid of a lot of like players who needed to go. Like Mustafi, oh my god, that bloke, uh, he, he gives me nightmares. I'm so glad he's gone. And then, like I like Socrates as a, like a like a guy. I, I liked him, but like he he's getting on a bit. Like he, he was just a stopgap to be honest from when we signed him. Mm. Um, there is still like, a few players in the squad that what, do fall under the, under this category of being very poor, um, and they they also need to go as well. But like in general, it, we did do pretty well. I, I don't know how you feel about it. like getting rid of like Kalasnach. Like Torreira is a weird one. I think we discussed him before the podcast started. Like uh, like he was a good player and he, he played a lot under Emery, but like he just doesn't like suit the way Arteta wants like sort of player on the ball. Like he's not very neat, like you said. Mm. on the ball but um, like Torreira's a good player personally I think but like apart from him like because Guendouzi is clearly not in favour of Arteta because he's I think he's, he just must be like a, a hooligan or someone like that like they're not like, a big fan of him so mm. um, but yeah in general I think we've done really well there's still a lot more work to be done obviously in clearing out but you can't like the, 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 the turnover of the squad like in recent seasons has been pretty a lot compared mm. to normal I'd say um, which is never good but getting when you're getting rid of that sort of court, that sort of bad out of the squad like Ozil love the bloke but he had to go um, so yeah it's just it's players like that just getting rid of the, 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 the bad bringing in new blood particularly in the youth players for replacement well, that's been pretty bit, bit mm. of a touch um, but yeah mm. yeah I think what I probably should have done is, is split that departures in half because for me last summer, in, in terms of just the summer window, w- was pretty poor outgoing. So we had Martinez for 16 million, which I think Leno is a good keeper. And if we are cash strapped and needed to take the money, then you know I don't blame them massively for it. But as you say, if we knew Leno wasn't going to stay long-term, it's a silly decision. And then all we did was Gwenduzi, Mavropanos, Torreira on loan and we let Mkhitaryan go for free so we didn't raise any money we didn't let that many people go it was only Martinez and and Mkhitaryan if we're talking about permanent departures what really was was the turning point on the field and perhaps off the field was that January window where we you know we may may had to pay for our mistakes our previous mistakes but we let go of Kolasinac, that one is just alone, and, and I'm sure we'll release him somewhere this summer. And Mustafi. And both of those two went to Schalke, who were relegated, 
And I'm not sure if people saw the reports, but there were reports that both Mustafi and Kolasinac did sort of lead some disruption within the dressing room during their, their relegation fight. So that may be explained some of the things that were going on that uh, Arteta has alluded to several times that there was problems um, in that first half of the season. So what he tried to say is some of the players he let go of in January were causing problems behind the scenes. And any long-term listeners will know we did a podcast um, back in December where, you know, I was really strong on the sort of human resource problem essentially at the club in that we had an absolutely massive squad you know, a lot of senior players in there that weren't even making match day squads. And that's never going to go well. Never going to go well, even if they have good attitudes, um, which which is clearly questionable for some of these players. So those two went to Schalke. I think he's been proven right to let them go. Guendouzi, as we said, went on loan to Hertha Berlin. They nearly got relegated. Uh, Meza Ozil, um, I'm le- I've not seen him play for Fenerbahce, but I'm led to believe that he's been pretty poor and uh, their fans are, are not too happy with his performances. Um, and that's in the Turkish league. Socrates um, went to, to Olympiakos. Um, and then I think the loan deals is, is another separate conversation, isn't it? So we've had Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Joe Willick, and William Saliba. And I think there's a story there in all three of them. They all went out on loan in January. Saliba, clearly, if we weren't going to use him, should have gone out on loan in the summer because, you know, God knows what problems that's caused behind the scenes. And that was clearly a cock-up from the club. Maitland-Niles is a player that the manager really committed to in terms of how we ended last season, we we turned down a bid from Wolves. I think it was around the fifteen million pound mark, which maybe wasn't enough, but you know it sounded like we didn't really entertain trying to get more money for him. He went on to not really be used and loaned to West Brom. That's a player whose value has sort of crashed now um, somewhat. The other loan is Joe Willock, who the positive for the club is clearly has uh, put his value out massively with what he's done at Newcastle but Connor does that reflect badly on Arteta in that he he's not being able to get that out of Willock or is it a case of it's a different environment maybe where where Willock's just been allowed to thrive what are your thoughts on sort of that trio of of loan deals I'll start with Maitland Niles because he's the he was probably the most confusing one out of a lot of them mm. um because he was literally first choice in the squad as a wing back he was in the England squad like he'd be going to the Euros now if he did. Someone has been in. If someone has been in his ear, and said, "Right, you're not a midfielder. Play where you're good. Get on with it." And he's a good wing back. He proved it. He's mm. gone to West Brom. I think I saw something hilarious. I don't. Someone said he was going to do like um, the bleep test at West Brom or something, but like on, <laughs> on loan, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but they say he's gone there to do the bleep test, and I was like, it's not wrong. Like he's gone to West Brom, and he's had like a couple of good games. But in general, he's not like set the world like like Willock has at Newcastle. Mm. And I think he has completely like he has decreased his value. He's still got some value, of course he has. Mm. Um, I really like Maitland Niles, but I don't like him as a midfielder, and I don't think anyone does. Mm. Um, but he's very stubborn that he that he wants to be in this position. It reminds me a bit of Walcott back in the day. He used to go on yeah. about playing a striker all the time, and yeah. he was. 
dog there. He was not good. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he just couldn't play it. And Matt Niles, he obviously can play midfield, but his strong position is wing-back. Mm. And he, he, he doesn't want to play it. He doesn't want to play it, but it's it's only hurting his career. And he needs someone to put, grab him, like, grab him and say, right, look, just play there. This is your this is where you're best. Get on with it and you will succeed. He'd be, he'd be in England squad right now. Honestly, it's, it's so weird that like, it's come to this for him. But mm. yeah, so Matt Niles, I think that that loan deal has been a failure overall. Um, perhaps for Arteta though, it's um perhaps for Arteta, Maitland Niles, as as you talk through there, it's a positive because there were, I think we all sort of said um, when we were low on options and maybe in the Europa League trialing Maitland Niles in midfield, you know he was calling for it, and we didn't have great options. Uh, but Arteta, I think he played part of a game there, but he was very strict on the fact that he wasn't going to use him as a midfielder. And, you know, Arteta could see him as a fullback. And I think, as you say, his loan spell at, at West Brom, he spent more time just doing shuttle runs and yeah. and, and not really commanded himself as a central midfielder. And, and maybe that's uh, not a success story, but you know what I mean? Like a, a positive for Arteta that he, he probably got that right. Whereas if Maitland-Niles, you know, if Maitland-Niles went to West Brom and was an incredible central midfielder and had the impact that, that Willock had, obviously, in, in slightly different areas of the field. But fans would have really turned on Arteta saying, why why have you not used Maitland-Niles as a midfielder, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we need a left-back. I I would be happy to go into the season with Tierney and Niles as our left-back. As a backup, Niles is horrendous. He's a homegrown. He's from our own academy. I literally didn't care. I think he's a good player. Um, he can play there. He's proved it in, on many occasions. And uh, but yeah, he's clearly not a midfielder. But going moving on to see Saliba, that was an absolute cluster of mm-hmm. a. Yeah, I'm not going to sit and blame Arteta. Obviously, it wasn't Arteta only, but it was like a, everyone involved in that was an absolute nightmare. Um, he has done really well though. Again. Uh, on loan in League One, he is obviously very young, but he's not that much younger than Gabriel. People forget that as well. He's only a couple of years younger. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's done really well again. And I, I do some rumours like of him being like possible swap for that tap sober guy from Leverkusen. Mm. I don't see Arteta selling Saliba. He, he's like you look at his passing stats. Obviously, Arteta's a passing freak. He was the player and he's the manager. And uh, yeah, this guy's statistics of passing are unbelievable for a centre-back and he he will be perfect for Gabriel as a partner sorry on the right side it's just I don't know what why there's like no I don't know the word I'm looking for but like just to be able to use him on a like perfect there seems to be like a, reser- a reservation from the club that oh he's going to mess up I think Arsene Wenger once said like oh you can't just throw in like young young defenders because they do make more mistakes there but I, again going back to the start of the summer I don't think we should have loaned him anyway because there's no fans in the stadium like he's not going to get the same level of abuse if he did make one of these mistakes like get over it and learn easier I think it was a bit more of an opportunity for these young players to be thrown in at the deep end with having no fans in the stadium Mm. Um, but he's got I think anyway but he's gone he's gone away he's had a really good loan spell he's coming back now everyone says he's get, been going to be given a chance which is the which is the important thing he spent 30 million quid on him so 
Saliba definitely. Um, it was a mess up not putting him in. Oh, sorry, not putting him into the Europa squad when we had the chance, and then we loaned him late. But he's gone on and done well, so I'm quite excited to see how he does next season. Um, mm. I don't know how you feel about him. Yeah, I think. Look, I, I I don't have a massive problem in Arteta seeing him last season in the preseason, thinking he's just not ready for for Premier League football. Um, you know, we've got we've got David Luiz, we've got a new youngest centre back in, in, in Gabriel. Louise sort of guiding him through the season and giving Saliba minutes on loan that he needs um, is not a problem. The problem is clearly that it happened in January. Like with a, a lot of what we've said is good, is that it waited till January. And, and, and as you sort of said there, it's, it's surely not on Arteta that that didn't happen till January because I think it's clear that Arteta didn't want to use Saliba this season. Um, the problem is it wasted six months of his his career because the club didn't sort a loan deal out in time. And that's sort of started to be reported now that there was a, a loan deal that sort of fell through um, close to the deadline. So I think the club have created a mess there and you don't know what, what that six months has done in terms of damage of, of the player and, and manager's relationship. So we'll wait and see how that one pans out. Um, on Ainsley Maitland-Niles, as we were talking about it, I just wondered if with all the central midfielders that are going, I just said that Arteta didn't view him as a centre midfielder, and that's positive. But maybe as a to keep around, as you say, as like a a backup left back, a backup centre midfielder, you know, in the January. Window. Very much a utility player, isn't he? So yeah. Like, what, what he is, like, he's, he's always. But he doesn't want to be, does he? Position. No, yeah. he doesn't. But that's his, that's what he's. That's I don't think he understands. Like this is this is what you're good at, mate. So do yeah. it, or you're going to be at West Brom. So yeah. And I think if Arsenal don't get a decent offer for him, as we said there, if the likes of Granit Xhaka are going, Torreira, Guendouzi, you know, El Nene and, and Partey, if they stay, are, are going to AFCON, African Cup of Nations for a month during the season. So maybe we'll be tempted to to keep him around for for that period. But Definitely. yeah, let's move on. Let's move on then. So let's... Uh, what would you rate in terms of Arteta's transfer dealings? If we look at the summer, um, it's, it's obviously not just Arteta that does these transfers, it's Edu's involved yeah. as well. But if we think about transfers and also management of players, because you know there's players that Arteta clearly discounted, that I think people thought, why aren't we using you know, Gwen Doozy or, or Ozil? And he's well, I think the biggest there. one to focus on is probably Ozil. That, that situation you, that's, you're talking about a player who used to go to Arsenal and his house and ask for a day off yeah, um, yeah. I, whatever you think of Mesut Ozil because he's a fantastic player for Arsenal but he did have he did like think he was I don't know how to explain it but he's like, not he, the culture he, he thought, yeah, yeah. yeah he just think, expected things he shouldn't yeah. have thought and Bengley used to give it to him um, Emery didn't like it I'm pretty sure but Ozil had this sort of power around the club which mm. he is he's an absolutely massive player in world football but he just expected certain things but other players obviously didn't get them luxuries Arteta's come in like right do this or piss off basically mm. and and I think that culture shift now, so. yeah the culture shift that he's leading is something that I can get behind and I think is is a positive of his tenure and I think as as we've said the 
the uptick in form after January when all these players left and um, you know, we brought in Odegaard on loan as well, I forgot to say. So that's a real positive for me. So I think across the two windows, he's looking at like a six because the summer was not brilliant. Um, but I think, yeah, in the January, it was probably like a four and an eight. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree with you on like a six. I think that's a fair uh, mm. outlook on it. People forget how young he is as well. Like, I, I expect it's like if someone comes in, so you've got a new boss or something like that and he's young. Yeah, um, it's going to be harder to respect like a younger one rather than an older one. Mm. Um, so to get the respect of all the players so easily, but well, I think yeah, I think they will have his respect quite easily, and um, I think that's quite a big thing as well with Arteta. He was reminded a bit of a teacher's pet, but sort of the vibe yeah. he gave me. <laughs> yeah. Right, transfer six out of ten. Let's move on. Let's move on to the actual season. And let's start with some positives. Um, I want to look at a few of Arteta's highlights throughout the season. So other than sort of uh, transfer moves he's made, what are the highlights? Whilst you have a think, Connor, I'll kick off. I'll kick off with one. And I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll go on to say a low point is the attack. But I think, you know, we can't say that without saying that a, a highlight is the defence. Um Arsenal conceded 39 goals in the Premier League this season. And quick scan of the table tells you Man City were the best by some distance with 32 conceded. Chelsea only had 36. Very good defensive record after Tuchel arrived. And Arsenal 39. Um, and then the next was Liverpool 42. So from a defensive point of view, third best defence in the league. And I think when you look at how those goals were conceded, it looks even better for Arteta in a way because there were so many of those were due to player poor quality rather than, you know, systematic structural issues. So I think from a defensive structure point of view, you know, if you look at Arsenal under Arteta versus under Emery, the players getting back into, into position, you know, whether they're forwards or midfielders or defenders, there's definitely a, a good structure there that does compromise what we can do going forward. But there's no more basketball games as, as Arsenal games used to look like a couple of seasons ago. Um, so that that is a positive for me. What's your what's your main sort of highlight for, for what Arteta's done this season? Um, I think, like you said, the defence is probably the, the, the greatest, best thing we've done. We've got like, the third best defence in the league, which is weird considering what we came from. Um, our away record's insane compared to like previous years, but then again, that also is coupled with a, a horrendous home record, so uh, which is usually great in previous years, so it just it's, it evens itself but out. Covid influence, isn't it? Really, I think. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? There's been a lot of good away, like Man United went the whole season on beating away. Like, mm. I wonder if that's just a factor. Players relaxing. You know, if you're if you're at your home stadium and you're going through all your home a lot of rituals and stuff and there's no yeah. fans it's quite a relaxed atmosphere you know what I mean whereas if you go for an away yeah. game and there's no fans at least you sort of it's definitely like a, a an adrenaline sort of thing as well from having fans at home like just for example like say if you get calling like the roar from the fans and like, what? like it mm. definitely makes a difference like, and I know it meant nothing but final game of the season against Brighton you know that was the most controlling positive we'd been 
maybe all season at home. Yeah, we really. Like, how many times do we beat Brighton as well? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Proper bogey team for us. And so. they're and they're a team that do dominate possession against some some decent sides. You know, they're and and I think we had nearly seventy percent of the ball. We had a lot of shots that day. The fans clearly did um, have an influence, and I think our our home form will return next season. Hopefully, we can try and maintain our away form because I think Arteta did slightly improve that. Um, when there were fans last season. I remember when he arrived, we had an absolutely horrendous away record. And I think he, you know, it wasn't brilliant um, what he did when he arrived, but I think he did slightly improve that away record. So, yeah, that's a good point. One to watch. Hopefully we can we can motate, maintain that. Any other big highlight for Arteta for you? Um, just the way, like, well, basically, I know we could all see you did a number ten, but um, that, that the back end I and mean, that horrible part of the season where we just couldn't win for anything, and um, and then he bring in Smith Rowe uh, more into the fold, and then we just suddenly start doing amazing, and obviously Odegaard bringing Port in, that was a, I think that loan deal that's possibly the best loan deal we've done in a very long time. Mm. Um, having him and um, sorry Smith Rowe work like because I thought it'd be like just him or Smith Rowe. We managed to put them both in the same team and they just thrived off each other so well. Um, that bringing that sort of player in, you could see like where we were struggling so badly and to be able to turn it around like that. And since then, uh, I think we were like the second best team in the league like, mm. in terms of points since we thrown these players in and switched it up. Mm. So th- that's the positive thing of Arteta, mainly is the fact that you can see his mistakes. He's sorted them out. And we are moving forward. I know, like, people will say, oh, look at the table, we finished eighth, we didn't win the Europa League, you know, we bad in the cup. So, yeah, if you look at it like that, but if you, like, delve into it deeper, like, we, we had a poor part of the season, which he has fixed now. If he didn't fix it, if we were in the same point now as he was then, I'd be getting him out the door, I'd be handing him out. But he hasn't, he's fixed it. So, uh, mm. yeah, I want to see where we are next season for after a whole season, like, after the transfer window, he's got a few more of his own, his own men in, sort of thing, and see where see where we are then. So, if we're not there then, then get him out, obviously. But I don't want him out. So. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the other highlight I had was was integration of Smith Rowe as well. Um, I touched on it at the start that for a manager to be successful, you need the right environment, the right people around you, the right players, and a bit of luck. Um, I do wonder if. You know, cast our minds back to that Chelsea game. I think we were 16th in the league going into that. It felt like a bit of a um, last chance saloon. I think that game, and then we had um, one after it, which I think if he lost both, he probably wouldn't have seen January because there would have been a real, real chance of relegation. And, and when Arsenal fans, I'm not saying eighth is good at all, but when Arsenal fans, uh, at the end of the season was sort of bemoaning that. I, I didn't understand because it was like, can't you remember four months ago we were genuinely talking about potential relegation? Like you can't be at Christmas and be talking about relegation and expect to finish any higher than eighth without pretty much winning all your games. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a massive turning point. It's like we're talking about two different seasons, but... Going back to that Chelsea game. I literally said it. He said he thinks we had... He, I think he said something like, oh, we, we had two different seasons. He said, yeah. 
the one before yeah. December, the one after. That, that's how he described it. So. And that's one of the few times he sort of hinted at the players going out in January were causing a problem. Um, whether that was all of them or, or one or two of them, I'm not sure. But, you know, can't, can't underestimate what, you know, these players are with each other pretty much every day uh, and we see them once or twice a week. But when you've got an unhappy squad behind the scenes, that has a massive impact. And all we did was add Odegaard on loan, obviously a very good player, but all we did was bring him in and send people out and we've had extremely different results. But yeah, I think Smith Rowe's inclusion in that Chelsea game was a bit of luck because of, I think William was out, um, a couple of other people were out. And I think if he wasn't, William probably starts that game in the in the number 10 role and, and we potentially lose. Does Smith Rowe ever get his his chance under Arteta? Does Arteta see January? You know, it's it's fine margins in football. And I genuinely think that that was a bit of luck for him. Um, but he still trusted Smith Rowe. He could have been really negative and played, I don't know, Tobias, number 10 or whatever. So, he, you know, he did show trust in Smith Rowe. And as you say, brought in Odegaard. There's a lot of criticism around that because they said, oh, he's just identified Smith Rowe and it's going to block him. But no, he continued to integrate Smith Rowe onto the left side at times, had some excellent performances there for us, thinking the North London derby um, when we had Smith Rowe on the left. Odegaard and Saka, I think, um, behind the striker, I like his that. So, yeah, that's a real success story for me, um, his integration of Smith-Rowe. And I think, as well, um, he deserves some credit for, for what he's done with Saka, transitioning him from last season. He played a lot in that sort of left wing-back role. Um, so transitioning him from, from that area of the field to a player that can do more damage in the final third. Um, and I think he definitely deserves credit for for helping him. So some positive signs with the young players, I think. Um, but that brings us into the low points. Um, so I've casted your minds back to, to December, where I think it was an incredibly low moment for for all of us, for the club. And as I say, I, I don't know if Arteta would have been at the club if he lost that Chelsea game and, and maybe the one after. Um. What's your low point, uh, Connor, for, for Arteta in terms of, I know you say you're Arteta in, when did you, when did you doubt yourself on, on your stance on Arteta the most this season? It was the, uh, obviously, obviously we don't know, we never see behind the scenes, I'm like Ozil fanboy, but when he wasn't playing Ozil, basically, um, when we clearly like were desperate for that sort of player, in the squad, and I know we were sat there looking at him. I like, know he's there. He's not. He's, he's not gone anywhere. To play him, it's like you save yourself, sort of thing. Mm. Because I do think if we did play him, despite if whatever he does behind the scenes, he's still a top player. He would have still made a lot more of a difference. Like, mm. I refuse to believe that he wouldn't have made a difference at the um the how we were doing in that awful run. And I think he sacrificed top four by not playing him just to get rid of him, which is on him but like at that point I was like oh mate this yeah, I, I'm not a coach but like even I can see that this guy would make a huge difference to the way we play like our chance creation was so low obviously Ozil brings that it's just every he just used to make things tick Ozil even when he wasn't at his best he'd still create a lot and then 
So that, I think that was the, that was like the point where I was like, oh, mate, this guy's really winding me up now. But overall, I'm, I'm still like a big, big Arteta guy. And I do think like, that was probably the moment I was like, oh, mate, this guy's actually really annoying me now. But apart mm. from that, like, I've always been a big Arteta guy. Yeah, I think, look, I, I personally think on Ozil, when you set, you know, we don't know exactly what's gone on behind the scenes, but from what I've heard, he, you know, he he, he set certain things and Ozil didn't adhere to that. And um, I don't have a huge problem with, with him being stubborn um, on Ozil himself. I think being stubborn on the system to not have that number 10, you know, more creativity in the side earlier on um, is my problem. So, so similar to you, but more, more on the structure. Because if you're going into the season, you know, going back to the summer transfer business and you know you're not going to use Ozil, and I think Smith Rowe had an injury at the time and hadn't really played any Premier League minutes before, then you need to go out and get someone for that position. You know, you can do the Odegaard loan in the summer, or you probably wouldn't have got him in the summer. But, you know, you can loan someone even for a year in the number 10 position to give you that that option. Um, and I think that's a negative for me. And and we were saying off air just before recorded recording that I think winning the FA Cup in the back three, where we didn't really have, you know, that structure didn't really have a creative midfielder, maybe negatively affected um, that start of the season because we sort of went in. I think Arteta always wanted to move to a four at the back, but he knew that that back three had done him well. So he sort of flip-flapped between the two a few times didn't have the players to execute, you know, the 4-2-3-1, as we say, if he's not using Ozil, Smith Rowe's injured, prepare your squad to be able to execute what you want to do. And he didn't do that. So I think, yeah, that that for me, going into the season, not knowing the direction he wanted to take, you know, we changed, we changed defensive partnerships, central midfield partnerships, formations so many times. And we still are doing that a little bit, which I think needs to stop next season. But it's got a little bit more consistent than where we were in that terrible first half. And I get it because he was losing and, and he was trying different things. But, you know, he needs to have some idea of what the perfect scenario, what the perfect squad, perfect system looks like. And then try and try and uh, train the players into it and bring in players where they're missing pieces. I think what we have to say, as I alluded to in the highlights, is that the attack was, was poor. Um, from an from a individual and, and systematic point of view. Just trying to work out where we are in the table of that. So we scored 55 goals in the 38 games. The most in the league was Man City with 83. So we're a long way off that. Um, Leicester, who finished fifth, had 68. So that's 13 more goals. Looks like we're around mid-table mark for that. Um, goal scored. Connor, why do you think he's having a problem with with scoring goals? Because we've got, I know Aubameyang's not been particularly at it, but we've not created much for him with the system that we play. Um, Lacazette scored a decent amount, nothing brilliant. Pepe has finished the season explosively, but that leads many to ask why why has Arteta not got that out of him earlier on? You know, we got a lot of money and forwards there. I think they cost us. 150 million those three 
So why is he only delivering mid-table goal numbers? Mm. Uh, I, with the Pepe thing, I just don't think Arteta's ever trusted him until now. Mm. Like defensively, I think Chambers said um, the other week he said uh, it felt like um, oh Pepe in front of me, like he comes back all the time now. He's all he's always, like in front of me now, like and it might not mean much, but if Chambers is coming out and saying things like that, Arteta probably knows, and we've seen it with his own eyes that he's working harder. He's more trustworthy coming backwards, so he can leave him on the pitch. Like, I don't even know if he gets he gets left on the pitch for the whole night now, rather than mm. get bit parts, seventy minutes or twenty minute cameos sort of thing. Um, so that's definitely the pepper. I mean, that's why I think that's why he's thriving at the moment. I mean, he's a very much confidence based player as well. Mm. Um, Aubameyang, honestly, I couldn't tell you what the hell happened to that bloke this season. It was so weird because he's a world class striker and he's absolutely falling apart. Uh, Lacazette, I don't think he even had a bad campaign. I think he had like a very Lacazette sort of campaign. I think he scored, scored goals pretty much what he normally goes for, got the assists. I think he had, he went, he had through very like purple patches and whatnot. Mm. Um, he's very good with the young players as well. Um, he just played a bit of a different role, but so there is that. I just think if you look at our, our goals from midfield, and this is where you could argue we should not be getting rid of Joe Willock. Um, we don't have any goals in the field. I was thinking party scored. I can't remember. Did Shaka even score? He must have won. Free kick, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Set piece. Uh, William scored one goal. Useless. Um, Smith Rowe got a couple, but he's not a goal scorer. Uh, Odegaard got a couple, obviously, in coming January, but like, um, in general, our midfield goals contribution is nil, and that is mm. clearly where we need to do the work. And putting two and two together, you'd expect Joe Willock to come in and just fill that role, but I don't think he fits our system either. Um, so I, I think selling him would be a smart one. I think we can get a few bob from him as well. So, mm. yeah, I think um, I think that's fair. As you say, I think Lacazette had a, a decent number season. I think even Pape, for the minutes he played, had a decent number season in the attack. It's only really Aubameyang who, who really struggled, and I think going back to the negative of consistency, not putting it all down to this, but obviously Aubameyang was very much a left forward in, in the back three system, changing the system. We tried to play him on the left in the 4 2 3 one. We've tried to fill, fill it with creative players and play him as a striker. And I think he's done better when we've done that. But, you know, players are, it's a rhythm game um, and consistency and just knowing where you are on the field, what, who's behind you, what the system is behind you, I don't think has helped Aubameyang for consistency. Um, when he was thriving at the end of last season, he knew his role, you know, he was in that that back three system, he was on the left side of the attack and he was devastating. Um, so hopefully we can create a more consistent system next season, partnerships across the, across the pitch and, and I still think there's plenty left in Aubameyang. Um, you know, word from the club is he's, he's still fitness-wise, you know, incredible, incredible athlete for his age. So I don't think he's finished. I'm not one of those people who think the reason he struggled for goals this season is because is he's sort of over the hill. Um, but I just think he needs consistency like a lot of these players. And as you say, I think the problem is goals from midfield. Saka's obviously improved on that front, but I, I still think he's got a lot of work to do in, in his finishing. Um, and I think the big problem with Arsenal's midfield, which is where we're doing a lot of work this summer, is the lack of mobility. I mean, Thomas Partey is a great player, 
but we all think he's, you know, when he does these runs through midfield, we're like, wow, it's incredible because we've not really seen a centre midfielder carry the ball through the lines, uh, complete dribbles, um, you know, have the energy to go box to box in this squad for a few years. So I think if we can do a bit of surgery on the midfield this summer and, and bring in some more players that can transition the ball between the lines um, and, and between defence and attack, then that's going to help with our attacking numbers. And I think Arteta's system relies on having players that can do that. Otherwise, the ball just gets stuck a little bit, you know. And, and Aubameyang is a player that needs it. It needs it right in the, I'd say, final third, but it's like the final fifth, really, isn't it? He, he You don't want him much deeper than that picking up the ball so you need the midfielders to be doing that job and the the problem is our current midfield don't really do that so I'm hoping um, on the back of transfers this summer and and that's a positive for me for for Arteta and and perhaps Edu as well is I don't know about you Conor but when I see these transfer rumours in terms of the areas we're targeting and even sort of style of player it fills me with confidence because they almost always seem like the you know, I agree with what they're doing. I think most fans do. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of like, names being thrown out and there's clearly ones that are more obvious than the other. Like, people saying Jack Grealish, that that's just fans being more on to be honest. We're never going to sign Jack Grealish. We can't afford him. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you got you got like your Basumas, uh, your, your Matt Barons, your Buendias and whatnot. They're these all players who like, would be smart signings. They're not silly. They're not stupid. Yeah. And they're not gonna they're not gonna cost hundred million pounds a piece. Um, they're gonna be reasonably affordable, considering. Um, so I, yeah, I'm I do feel quite confident into the summer. But I don't like the problem with Arsenal. You can buy all these base good players and whatnot. They're just going back to that Villarreal game. Um, player for player, I don't think there's one of their players who get in our our, screen, our team, and they beat us. Um, mm. so it's not just players like you could bring in all these great players and whatnot you've still got to like, put together and that Villarreal game showed me like sometimes they just they can't get themselves up for it but then like you said that Brighton game at the end of the season that's, just, that's a game we always do bad in traditionally anyway and mm. they played they played a solid game they, they, they like, stopped them from having like, so many like, shots as they always do Brighton top team and uh, it, it just Goes to show we have got in us, mm. but then it goes to show we haven't got in us. So it's not it's not just players; it's mentality as well, and that's that comes from the managers. So that's our tech. Yeah, team, I, think, so. I was going to say where, because that sort of takes me into to the next low points that I had, where one was consistency, and the other was was Villarreal losing against the former Arsenal manager. You know that that's obviously a, a, a terrible thing for Arteta's CV, if you like. But on the consistency. Where do you think the responsibility for that lies? Um, because we've seen some really excellent performances from Arsenal this season. You know, some really, really good games when you thought, wow, I can see what Arteta's doing. The, the fact he's managed to, um, you know, out-tactic some, some really good managers and win games is it, a really promising sign for him. And then we've seen some, like, absolutely shocking performances. I remember during the the really bad spell around Christmas, I think it was Everton away, where I just saw nothing. And I, I thought the, the players had given up on the manager. I mean, they clearly hadn't, based on what came in the next couple of months. But 
you know whose responsibility is that surely surely Arteta needs to to take some responsibility for such a a varying um performance levels from the same squad yeah definitely um we definitely have to take responsibility this quality in the day but uh, I don't that's, I hate to look at things like with a negative outlook but all all I can say about that is he's fixed it now like that, that's all he can do, all you can ask of like someone like that is, but has he? But has he? You know, I I definitely agree. You know, since since Christmas, as we say, he's the second best team in the league. Blah blah blah. My only concern is, has he fixed it when the pressure's off? Because we had nothing to play for in the league when we started to play well. You know, we'd lost European hopes really. As soon as we had a glimpse of perhaps European hopes again. We we went off the rails a bit a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. In the Europa League, uh, obviously, when the pressure was on against Villarreal, even when we were doing quite well in the league, the players or the manager or the manager and the players crumbled again. So my, just my fear of this squad is when the pressure's off, you know, we finished this season with five straight wins. Brilliant. And it, it does make you feel more positive. If we'd lost all those games, for sure, you... you a lot of people would be saying the manager's got to go, but equally the five straight wins when we knew we had nothing to play for, it's not the same, is it? It's, it's a mentality thing for me that I still worry about. Uh, I definitely about. agree with you. I definitely agree with you. Like, I mean, the pressure's off, but I'm just going to... And we said this before, like the podcast started, so we talked about the FA Cup, uh, the way you won it, like that kind of saves his job a bit. And I think, like just go alluding back to that, like, the pressure was obviously on still then to win a trophy. Like, of course, like winning the FA Cup was two teams against well, both better than Arsenal's face at Man City and Chelsea, both better teams. And mm. um, we beat them, uh, and that the pressure was on then. So I know we might have not, we might have been underdogs in both of them games, but still the pressure is to win mm. FA Cup final. No one wants to lose that. And he came through, so he's proved he can. Like he's proved the players can listen to him under pressure. So I don't think it was that. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall during that that part of the season because I don't know if we'll ever find out what the true cause of that absolute collapse because mm. it was literally like re- we were going to get relegated. I can't believe I'm saying it now. Like we was on the borderline to get relegated, mm. and people were saying it was a joke, but it wasn't even a joke. It so, wasn't because I, I remember feeling going into any game. I remember seeing like Brighton or West Brom were next, and just not having any confidence at all. Yeah. You didn't know what he was going to get from Arsenal. Like, well, you did. I was very shit, mm. but um, you just never knew what he was going to get with them. And yeah, so it's just I don't know. Mate. It was such a weird part of the season, but mm. like and said, he does deserve credit. Yeah, he does deserve credit yeah. for coming through that for a man with with you know no direct management experience in football to come through what. As you say, we don't know exactly what was happening from behind the scenes, but I think it's clear that there were some big characters, some big problems, um, as much as the players, by the way. I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about what I said at the start, the environment around him, the structure above him. You know, we had Raul Sanyehi leaving. We had the structure changing. We've obviously had the, you know, the Super League coming from nowhere as well, which it's is... been a lot of staff turnover, like uh, a ridiculous amount the last few seasons. I think as well that can't be good. Like, it's not, yeah. not like the same like, level of consistency which that brings. And so, 
I yeah. think uh, the, the players, the people coming in and out, like the Eddie coming in and Rao leaving after doing that dodgy deal for Pepe and whatnot. And just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's been an absolute mayhem recently. I think we need a little more stability and keeping Arteta at the helm will definitely aid that, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely see a positive for that. And I think, you know, if you ask me where I stand today, it's that he should definitely start the season and, and be given this summer. And I just hope the club, Edu and, and, and everyone around them um, can deliver what Arteta wants. But I think Arteta, what's crucial for him now is, is he goes into the summer and next season knowing, as I say, what that structure, what that ideal team looks like. Because we've got no European football and playing with a consistent team, a consistent 14, 15 players in the same system is really important if we want to push on on the European places. Final thing I want to look at, we've been chatting for a while, but um, there is a lot to chat about about this season and about about the manager. Um, the final thing I want to look at is that competition breakdown. The football manager player listeners will know that when you start a season, you... Uh, you can you can uh, change your transfer budget, can't you, with with how your how you expect to perform in the different competitions? Um, and I wonder, what do you think, kind of going back to the start of the season, Arteta's sort of performance? You know, what were his targets? Do you think given by the club in terms of cup competitions and league position? Uh, League Cup's just a throwaway, isn't it? Like, mm. No one cares about that. So if you get anywhere in that, fair play, but no one cares. FA Cup, as much as we love winning it and we're really good at it, let's be honest, no one really cares about it. Um, top four was clearly the aim in the Champions League, any kind of Champions League football. How we got there, I don't think they really cared. If we finished eighth and won Europe League, they wouldn't have cared. If we finished top four and went out in the group stage of Europe League, they wouldn't have cared. So it's just we failed. In, our, our goal is Champions League football. We didn't get it, so we failed. That's, that's all I could say. Like anything else, it's just a bonus if we get any, we get further in other competitions. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fair. That that could well have been it. And I think, judging by how the club have been sort of managed um, over the last few years, it could well have been that, you know, finish 14th for a week, get Champions League money, um, and we'll be happy. But to remind people, Carabao Cup, we went out in the quarterfinal. Humiliation versus versus Man City. I say quarterfinal, you only needed, I think, two wins to get to the quarterfinal because we come in so late. But I think, yeah, we don't really care about that competition, but that game probably um, just highlighted the Renaissance transfer as being a terrible one. I know he only cost 1.8 million or something, but, you know, he was unusable. when they, he, he proved he was unusable so much so that we had to going loan um, Ryan in the in the January window. FA Cup, which we were the holders for. Third round, we needed extra time to beat Newcastle. Fourth round, we went out to Southampton. Not brilliant. Europa League went out in the semi-final against the former Arsenal manager. Not brilliant. And we did have some near misses in the, in the former rounds as well. Um, you know, if we're looking at individual legs of them anyway. So, an improved performance in the Europa League because, of course, we went out to Olympiacos, didn't we, at the round of 32 or round of 16 previous year under Arteta. Yeah. So improved, but, you know, hardly anything worth celebrating. Um, and then, as you say, eighth in the league, which, if you look since Christmas, 
second highest points tally in the league. More points than last season as well. So I yeah. know the league's a little more smelly with all these, these teams that went down. Like it seems like mm. I feel like a lot of teams went up, but like we did get more points. That was up, I think it was up like five or six more points than last season, which is progress, I guess. Yeah, but so still can shape. So yeah, looking back last season, we also finished eighth, but on fifty six. This season we finished on sixty one points, which would have got us in the sixth place spot last season. Um, yeah, but as you say, there's there some pretty bad relegated teams this year, so I think everyone picks up a few more points. So uh, it's probably quite consistent. I mean, the first half of the season was a lot worse and the second half was a lot better. So that's our reason to be positive and to, to look forward. Before we go, Connor, my last question. Rating Arteta not the squad or, or the performance, but what Arteta's done overall. We did the transfers. We both went in at six in terms of performance on the pitch, player management, player development. Um, what do you give Arteta on his on his grade sheet out of 10 this season? This season? Um, five. Five? I yeah, was going to go five as well. I think it's a case of till Christmas, I would even go as low as two or three because I think... I'll give him a one. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I think (laughs) let's go two till Christmas because I think in the summer, you know, a lot of the good player decisions came in January and a lot of good performance and structural decisions came post-January. So it's like a two and an eight isn't it in difference yeah that's what it is. like you said two different seasons isn't it that's how I felt so. mm. and, the, and the challenge next season for Arteta is to to take this sort of slightly more positive energy into next season obviously do the right things in the summer and we've only got the Premier League to concentrate on uh, and let's see how Arteta manages that because it's not you know it's not easy obviously all big clubs do it so I don't want to excuse them for it but when you're new in management to to manage every few days um, a turbulent squad you don't really get time on the training pitch to focus on opposition too much um, and I think next season let's see what he can do when he has a week preparation every week before Premier League opponents um, it will be interesting it will be interesting for sure I don't think he'd survive another August to December like last year but um, I really don't think I hope we don't do that again Right, I think we'll wrap up there. I think we've been going for for about an hour. Um, Thanks very much for joining us, Connor. I appreciate having you on, mate. And that was our first post-season podcast, uh, Analyzing Arteta. We've got lots of exciting stuff planned um, for this summer. So we're going to be doing some squad evaluation podcasts, um, you know, sort of rating all the players, season awards, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll be taking you through the summer Um, through all the transfer dealings sounds like it's going to be an extremely busy one for Arsenal Uh, all the news as usual you can find at fresh underscore Arsenal on Twitter or fresharsenal.com you can follow the podcast Twitter account at fresh Arsenal pod you can follow me Ollie Price Bates at Ollie Price Bates and you can follow Connor at still Tiki Tactica Connor Connor yeah yeah, sorry (laughs) yeah Tiki Tactica Connor Cool. So go and give them a follow. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe 
if you can. Apple have done some weird thing with subscribers, so I'm, I'm not sure if you have to subscribe again. Um, but yeah, if you're not subscribed already on whatever you're listening, please subscribe and we will see you next time. Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.